Hello, microphone. <laughs> you are a microphone. Hello, computer. Computer. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's Colin, everybody. It is. Yay! Hello, Hello, everybody. I'm glad that the landscapers decided that now is the time for leaf blowing, even though there are no leaves out there. Yes. (laughs) So hopefully either that's not picked up or I can filter that out, but... (laughs) Here we are. They've been doing constant landscaping for days now, so it's either record now in the middle of it or don't record at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have our friend Colin today. Colin is a extremely longtime friend of Kathy and I, and I've mentioned him a couple times on the podcast before, and he's helping us out today. Thanks for joining us, Colin. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. How are you doing today? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. A little tired, but otherwise okay. I know the feeling. Since people don't really know you, do you want to tell us about your dog? <laughs> sure. Because that's always a good topic of conversation. <laughs> yeah. So my dog is a monster. He is. Um, he's a golden retriever. He's going to be 10 soon, which I can't mm. believe. I know. That's crazy. I've had him since he was 10 weeks. He's a good boy. He's into the smells, into peeing on things. <laughs> Those are his main hobbies. Yeah, pretty much. I suppose you can also tell us about yourself if you'd like to, but you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, I mean, the, my dog is the most interesting thing about me, so. Yeah, I I won't argue that. <laughs> I'm a bad friend. I won't deny that. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, there are no dogs in this episode that we're talking about today. So I mentioned last time at the end of the podcast that I recorded with my beloved Greffrey that we were going to be talking about The Simpsons today. So Colin has watched this episode with me. It is season 17, episode 17, Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore. And I should probably mention before we get into this, that this episode is from 2006 and has not aged very well. (laughs) It has not. So remember, we did not write the episode. We are only recapping (laughs) the episode. And I hope no one's offended by some of the rather offensive things, because it's The Simpsons, and uh, I think most people know that that show can be offensive on occasion, especially, apparently, 16 or so years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the episode begins... I noticed that the intro was really short, and I was wondering when they sh- like started skipping out on the whole chalkboard thing and the grocery store scene, because we basically just started with the couch bit. Oh, yeah. I forgot that there... It's been such a long time since I had watched The Simpsons. I forgot there was a longer version of it. Yeah, so super short intro. I did actually write down what the couch bit was. It was just a hand dealing cards. They were all diamonds. Bart was the Jack, Marge was the Queen, Homer was the King, Lisa was the Ace for whatever reason, and then Maggie was the Joker. And then we just go right into the episode. Starts in the power plant. There's a big meeting, a very big not-COVID-friendly meeting, because they're all gathered in an auditorium. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, right. This was 16 years ago. (laughs) Simpler times. (laughs) Yes. Simpler times. And also, this is animated and not real. (laughs) In theory. Yeah, in theory. Lenny does say he doesn't want to sit up front, which is now my policy as well. But 
Lenny was worried about his eyes, even though there was something radioactive behind him irradiating his whole body. I just like sitting in the back because that's where I can make my easy escape. And it's the most COVID-friendly place to sit. Yes. And people are less likely to call on you. Also, yes, that's also an excellent point. (laughs) Yeah. I never call on any of my students unless they raise their hand when I'm teaching because I always hated that when I was in school. Oh, I would have liked to have you as a professor. (laughs) Thank you. It just feels, it feels obnoxious. And it wasn't because I wasn't paying attention. I just was super shy back then and hated being called on. And yeah, so I don't do that to my students. (laughs) Mr. Burns comes up and says that they're going to take a moment of silence for the people that they've lost, but then Homer just starts chanting for the movie that they're going to be playing, obnoxiously breaking that moment of silence. So the video comes up. It starts off like what you would expect a cliche ode to the American worker to be, and then they start complaining about how tired they are, and they decide, outsourcing, take this away. And then poof, the factory they're all working in is gone. They're all standing around drinking some beer. And they're all super excited that they can now spend more time playing the lottery. So that's cool. The narrator says, hey, America, why not let other countries take their share of the load? So they're going to be outsourcing. The U.S. has a face on it. They've anthropomorphized the country, puts on a sleeping cap, and takes a nap. Video ends. Mr. Byrne tells them that he's got great news for everybody. Good news, everyone! Because they're going to close the power plant and outsource all the jobs to India. Lenny asks, are we losing our jobs? And Mr. Byrne says, like, no, they're going to be safe. They're just going to be in another country. For some reason, Lenny just bought a $3 million house. So (laughs) he's sad to hear this. He's apparently the only one that's got any commentary on this whole thing, really. I was thinking about that, too, that he, yeah. he says that, and this was 2006, so, like, the <laughs> housing crisis is starting to ramp up. Right? <laughs> so, Mr. Burns does end his presentation saying that they need to keep on one union worker for union contract reasons. They're going to throw a bouquet to choose who it is, and, of course, it's Homer. That catches the bouquet. He's going to be moving to India. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but the moment... Mr. Burns said, oh, we're going to move to India. That was the moment where I started to think, oh, dear. <laughs> what? Where is this episode going? Right. Yeah. I was already having a little bit of trepidation. I'm like, kiss, kiss, bang, Bangalore, huh? That's already right there. Just a city in a foreign country. I've already got hesitation. But then, yeah, like you said, oh, okay. I see. I see. So this is going to be that kind of episode. Yeah. Next, they are back at the Simpson house, and Homer tells the family he's moving to India to keep them all in luxury, and Bart asks, what luxury? Because the thermostat is painted on the wall. And (laughs) Homer says, oh no, I better call someone about that, and then dials a painted on the wall phone. Beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. Then someone right over. (laughs) This was actually a moment that I really enjoyed in the episode. I agree. I thought this was actually a really funny scene. (laughs) Yeah, it felt like classic simpsons stuff it did yeah but then he brings a of all things a a cutout of mac tonight and says here's the guy and and, and, yeah and bart's like that's just a cutout and he's like you'll do what he says right that's such a random reference like even in 2006 mac tonight was not at all relevant no I just barely remember it from when we were kids. I don't know if you remember any of those commercials. I do. And I have to tell you about my trauma. 
Yes, um, <laughs> please do. <laughs> I don't remember how old I was, but it was before I moved to Japan, <laughs> so I was definitely under 10. A family friend was a DJ for one of the local rock stations, and they were doing some kind of event oh. at McDonald's because the, the Mac Tonight stuff had actually just start like it was this brand new ad campaign they were doing so i could probably find out when that was just by looking that up but i didn't think of that till now <laughs> that's so, a lot of work though yeah. <laughs> so we go to this thing and the mcdonald's is packed for whatever reason because oh boy you can buy burgers but also there's a guy in a costume <laughs> so mac tonight he's it's like a guy with like a you know black jacket and he's got this weird moon head thing on his on his head and he's just it's walking around creepy. saying yeah. hi you know saying hi to kids because kids love anthropomorphized planetary bodies i suppose <laughs> right? um yeah so he actually like picks me up and like li- you know and, like lifts me up and is like holding me like as he's going around oh and no I was, and i was i was also a shy kid and yeah. I, I didn't know what i was signing up for when we came wow i feel like that wouldn't be okay nowadays i feel like that really wasn't okay even back then but <laughs> yeah I, well the, and the one thing i don't know the guy in the costume may have actually been the family friend that was the DJ. I'm not sure. Oh, about okay. That. that would make a lot more sense. Right? But yeah, you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I was a kid. I thought it was actually a moonhead guy. So <laughs> You thought it was actually a guy with a moonhead. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <laughs> no one ever said you were a smart kid. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Nor should they. <laughs> so yeah, so Max and I cut out past trauma. <laughs> I actually used to, I really liked the commercials because I liked the song and I actually learned the song, the commercial song before I learned the real song of Mac the Knife. Over the years, I heard Mac the Knife like a bunch of times and I was like, this is a cool song. And then I actually listened to the lyrics and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's not a song that jumps out at you and makes you think this would sell hamburgers. Lies about it, just do's in life. <laughs> Right? <laughs> the story of an assassin in Berlin. <laughs> right. I mean, it would make more sense if it was an assassin in Hamburg, but, you know, <laughs> that's a really bad joke. That's a good point. That's a, that's a huge missed opportunity there. Yeah. How dare you, Irving Berlin? I think it was written by Irving Berlin. I, oh, I, mean, I, don't, I have no idea. I could be wrong. Sounds good to me. I know that it was like a show tune kind of a song before it was a jazz standard. Oh, really? Okay. See, yeah. I didn't even know that much. I don't know why I know that. I have no, I have no idea where that information <laughs> comes from. But we moved to Sons of Sicily Hall. There's a, a big sign outside that says MacGyver Convention Today, Conference Closet Q. <laughs> Inside is a sad room full of chairs. There are streamers and posters. Patty and Selma are there in the front row. Bart and Lisa are there with them. Mm-hmm. They do a close-up of Patty and Selma. And Bart says, what's a MacGyver and why do we care? <laughs> and... Immediately, my thought was, didn't these shows air contemporaneously with each other? And I looked it up, and yes, MacGyver was like 85, I think it started, Mm -hmm. 85 to 92. Simpsons started 87 with the Tracy Ullman shorts and 89 with the actual show. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Jeff and I were trying to remember when MacGyver aired, too. We thought that it was 92, but then we we weren't sure. (laughs) Yeah, well, it just shows you how long that show has been on, right? They aired at the same time, and now they can have Bart ask, what the heck is that thing from (laughs) the distant ages past that actually was there when I first became a thing? Um, Anyhow, Patty and Selma stand up and adoringly describe the show and mention that it stars the three best names in the world, Richard Dean Anderson. And then Richard Dean Anderson, who is voiced by Richard Dean Anderson, comes in and asks if someone said his names. 
and they hyperventilate. He came to their convention and he says, no, I'm looking for the convention for my new show. And they're like, oh, it's over there. And then outside there's a giant arena with spotlights and a huge sign with his name on it and people chanting Stargate SG-1. (laughs) I was like, yay, Stargate fans. Fake ones, but still. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, you're into MacGyver? That show was so stupid. (laughs) And goes on to mock himself for making a bomb out of a banana and a paperclip and various other unlikely things that MacGyver accomplished. I liked his uh, weird high-pitched mocking voice of himself, too. Oh, I'm MacGyver. Yes. Pretty amusing. (laughs) Patty and Selma are devastated by this and declare that Richard Dean Anderson has pissed off the wrong Richard Dean Anderson fans. (laughs) And I thought this was a big missed opportunity to call themselves Richard Dean Fanderson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Everybody knows that Kathy and I love a good portmanteau, and also so do all the people we hang out with, <laughs> including both Jeff and Colin. So. They're the best. <laughs> Agreed. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the Coliseum next. Up on stage, of course, comic book guy is there acting as host, and he introduces Richard Dean Anderson and says that of the star franchises, which include War, Trek, Gate, and Search, Stargate <laughs> is easily his third favorite. <laughs> and RDA is like, yeah, I get that a lot. Comic book guy wants to know how Jack O'Neill, two L's, would react to appearing at the Springfield Fan Fest. And RDA stands up and really hams it up to the crowd and says that he feels like he just went through the Stargate. To one heck of a convention, and everybody (laughs) cheers, and one nerd's like, he's aware of us. And suddenly the lights go out. We see two shadows in the shape of Patty and Selma rush up. They carry off the Richard Dean Anderson-shaped shadow. When the lights come back on, comic book guy is shocked, but the fans are all excited because they assume that there just must be a Stargate someplace in the Coliseum. Everybody gets up and starts running around frantically trying to look for the Stargate. But comic book guy, (laughs) here's one of our first really problematic things. Mm. Comic book guy has even more exciting news. He interrupts everybody in their frantic search, and he tells them that there's a girl in the audience because you can't have girls who are sci-fi fans, so this is shocking news to everybody. They all start looking for the girl. They corner Willie, groundskeeper Willie, who's there wearing a kilt. (laughs) He insists to them all that he's not a girl. He's just wearing a kilt, not a skirt, not a dress. But the nerds say that's as close as they're ever going to get, so get him. Woof. Yes. One of the things I didn't love about that whole joke is that, you know, I feel like that's a joke from The Simpsons from 10 years earlier. Yeah. And it sort of felt like they're just doing the same thing they've been doing. Right. I don't know. We go to Patty and Selma's house where they have a shrine to MacGyver with mugs and posters, lunchboxes, board game of some sort, and candles. He is tied to a chair with a bag over his head, which they remove and shout surprise. He gets very indignant, says this is kidnapping, and they, people will know he's missing because there's a liquor store he goes to every morning. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> um, uh, they tell him this isn't a kidnapping. It's a convention that will never end. They put a pen in his mouth and make him sign their boobs. Begins to do this with uh, a look of trepidation on his face and... 
<laughs> they say that he can write help me all he wants but no one will ever see it which was uh, definitely makes... one of one of my more favorite jokes of the yeah, episode it was pretty funny then it jumps to the airport when homer is getting ready to leave the announcement says they are boarding all first class passengers children and fat guys <laughs> You'd think you'd want the fat guys first, right? To just speaking as a fat guy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, get the, get us get us out of the way quickly. <laughs> things would be different if we were in charge, Colin. It's so things many would things be so would be very different, different and mm. better. Yes. So they're saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to the family, and Marge brings him a book called "The Cereal Is the Prize" and other <laughs> management secrets I learned at breakfast. <laughs> Do you remember when cereal actually used to have prizes in it? Not like you had to like save up box tops and send off for prizes, but there were actually prizes in the cereal, and that was amazing. Yes. And they stopped doing that a long time ago, and that was stupid. (laughs) I was not allowed as a child to have the kinds of cereal that came with prizes, so I never got to experience that myself. But Wow, I feel like you've missed out. That's very tragic, and I'm sorry for your loss. We were very selective about the the stands we took, but for whatever reason, yeah. a breakfast cereals like that was one of them. Actually, also watching The Simpsons, a thing I was not allowed to do. Oh, as a I wasn't. Kid. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons either. Actually, when we were oh, kids, yeah? I didn't start watching it until like college, I think, because yeah, my mom didn't approve of the show at all. And yeah, I've mentioned my mom has weird views on nutrition too. So for whatever reason, though, she was actually okay with any sugary breakfast cereals, even though she didn't want me eating like a whole ton of like other types of sugar but she's fine with breakfast cereal which is all sugar and she's also fine with apple pie which is also all sugar <laughs> so we had a lot of those when i was a kid <laughs> we had honey nut cheerios and cream of wheat those were the breakfast staples mm. in my house i actually like both of those a lot we had a lot of cheerios we also had smurf cereal smurf berry cereal which was amazing oh i we forgot about that we're not allowed to have captain crunch because captain crunch was too much sugar because it had marshmallows <laughs> in it but then we were allowed to have like fruit loops <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah you know 80s and 90s there was a lot of nutrition was really about feelings right like, <laughs> i feel that this is good for me so it is exactly yeah science is whatever we want it to be right pretty much <laughs> yep he gets the book he's displeased to get the book but he comes around because it's marge giving him a gift and he tells her what i think is probably my favorite joke in the whole episode (laughs) (laughs) i've never been less angry to receive a book (laughs) (laughs) that was an excellent joke yes i love receiving books though books are great but me too 65 hours later (laughs) homer has made it to india but he's extremely dismayed when he gets off the plane and sees India, because he thought he was going to Indiana. (laughs) You ignorant American. You have confused India with Indiana, Indiana with Illinois, and the Cubs with the Dodgers. Oh, no. And he hates the whole continent as a result and did not know that he was taking a job on the other side of the world. Pretty quick scene. Yeah, and I think that the person getting off the plane who points out that he's Mm -hmm. confused India for Indiana is... The only, at least as far as I could tell from looking up the credits and, you know, who all the actors were, is the mm-hmm. only actual Indian actor who oh, really? voices the character. Uh, the actor's name is Meher Tatna, who is an Indian journalist, and she was actually president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. For oh, that's while. awesome. Yeah, which is, you know, the Golden Globes and stuff. That's That's very cool. That's, as far as I could tell the 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 only actual representation in the in the episode 
See, look at you doing research. Uh, I hardly do research, so I'm well, impressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at research when I can get angry about something. Yeah, this is true. If there's one thing I know about you, it's yes. that you like getting angry about oh, things. Anger just sustains me. It's true. <laughs> Back at the Simpson house, Lisa's reading. The phone rings. Homer is on the other line, and he says that he's in trouble because a cow took his iPod, so he punched it. There's a whole crowd gathered around him. We cut over to the scene of him having a tug of war with the cow. Lisa tells him to fix the issue by telling the cow how much he adores it. So he kisses it and hugs it and tells it it looks like it lost weight. Come on, baby, don't play hard to milk. And then suddenly the crowd is appeased and wanders off. Later on in some random city street in India, Homer mentions that Apu said his cousin Kavi could help him, but the only description that he has is that Kavi is medium height, dark complexion, and brown eyes and black hair. The implication is that's what everybody on this street looks like that Homer is looking around at. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that it doesn't seem like we should just like tear apart every single bad yeah. racist joke. We can, yeah, we can't do that for everything because there's a lot of them, but yeah, yeah. not great. That really jumped out to me as like a Agree. pretty shitty one. And, or sorry. Am I, am I allowed to swear? Of course. Fuck. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some ones where you're like, eh. Like the one earlier yeah. with, the, with the joke about, oh, there's a girl at the convention. Yeah. Ha ha. Cliche. Yeah. This was a moment, and I might talk about this a little more later maybe, but this was a moment where I remembered that <laughs> there is a documentary called The Trouble with Apu. Oh by uh, a comedian named Hari Kondabolu. I, I, I may have mispronounced his last name. Kondabolu, I think is how you say it. But he goes into all this stuff. So partly in, in place of us dissecting every yes. bad racist joke, that documentary does it. And it interviews a whole bunch of Indian and Southeast Asian actors and comedians. And they, they just go all into it. They talk about the experience they had growing up with no representation on TV, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. It's really good. So that probably speaks better to what the problems are with right, this episode yeah. than anything. That sounds really interesting. I had actually not even heard of that until you were telling me about it just like a couple hours before we started recording. So I, for sure, I'm going to be looking for that and watching it later. Yes, it's on HBO Max. It's about an hour uh-huh. long. Fantastic. Uh, Good to know. Yeah. So shitty joke. We just covered that. Mm-hmm. Followed by what I thought was actually a really funny joke where he goes up to the first one. He's like, are you yeah. Kavi? And the guy's like, no. He goes up to the second person. He's like, are you Kavi? <laughs> and he's like, yes. And he's like, finally, that took forever. <laughs> that That is actually... A, a joke that made me laugh. If the yes, whole thing that's had just, actually a good one. Yeah. <laughs> if the whole thing had just been Homer being like, I have no idea who this person is. I'm just going to randomly ask questions. Ask, until yeah. <laughs> like without the whole, you know, everybody looks the same. Right. You know, the bad joke. Uh, it would have been a funny scene. But right. anyways, I digress. <laughs> then we end up at Patty and Selma's house. I guess this is probably typical of The Simpsons, but... Mm-hmm. These two plot lines have nothing to do with each other. No, I feel like that is often a Simpsons thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or like they'll have a starting plot that is completely different from where they end up. They like to do completely random stuff. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since I had seen it. I watched a couple episodes a couple times over as I was readjusting myself to watching The Simpsons (laughs) again. But uh, I I forgot how, how disconnected... They are, maybe this is just my bad memory, but I don't remember Patty and Selma being a huge part of the show either. Am I yeah. wrong about that? No, they're not usually, which is why it is surprising that they gave them such a big role in this episode. But I actually did a little bit of research. Thanks actually to one of our listeners. Thank you, Francis, on Twitter for sending me 
a top 10 running gags in SG1 article that was on Reddit. Kathy and I actually have caught on to the fact that there are many Simpsons references in uh, SG1. And you and I were actually already huh. planning on doing this episode when they sent me the the Reddit article. So I was really interested to learn that Richard Dean Anderson was a huge Simpsons fan. Huh. That's how they ended up with that many references in SG1. And anybody who's watched The Simpsons knows that Patty and Selma, like their running gag there is that they're huge MacGyver fans. So I'm guessing that when RDA finally like managed to to kind of worm his way onto The Simpsons and get this guest spot that it kind of only naturally made sense that Patty and Selma would have a, an amplified role in an episode like that. So no, they're not normally big big uh, characters on it, but I'm guessing that's why they played such a prominent role in this episode. I see. At their house, again, they come into the room they were keeping Richard Dean Anderson in, and he is gone. Whoops. But then he comes back in to tell them how he escaped. <laughs> we flash back to him struggling against the ropes. He pops out his contact lens, lands on his tongue, and he angles it so that the sun shines through it and burns through the ropes. And I remember... The sun shining through things, it, it's been a long time since I've watched MacGyver. I was definitely a little kid when I was, uh -huh. but Kyle and I were kind of into it. And, you know, even you're little kids and you sometimes just like play act stuff as you're like, like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kathy and I used to play act all the dumbest stuff with my little ponies <laughs> when we were kids. <laughs> we definitely used to do some some MacGyver-esque stuff where we were like, you know, pretending that we were escaping from things that was just, you know, the basement in his house. But um, <laughs> from what I remember, the sun shining through lenses and stuff and burning things is a very commonly used device. Maybe that's wrong. In MacGyver specifically? <laughs> I think so. Oh. I feel like I... apparently I'm the only one that hasn't watched MacGyver because Jeff was telling me last week I didn't even realize that he always watched MacGyver too. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a show I ever went back to. Mm -hmm. Like, so all these memories are just from actually being 11 or something and seeing episodes of MacGyver. So who knows? Memory is highly fallible. Fun fact, when I was in kindergarten, we had like this little kind of like almost like a step stool kind of thing, but it had a magnifying glass in the middle of it for whatever reason. And one day, one of my classmates left it near the window and it set the carpet on fire. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it was only a little tiny one and the teacher thankfully saw it like right away and was able to put it out right away. So like we didn't have to have like the fire department come or anything. But yeah, that's my fun story about huh. magnifying glasses and putting them in the sun and starting fires. True science. Wow. So there's something to it. <laughs> there is. Yep. Absolutely. So he's burning the rope with the contact lens. It unravels and he uses it to lasso a streetlight. I like all the fake MacGyver music that's happening in this point. Just the slightly off-key version of the song, but that's clearly supposed to be the MacGyver theme. Now he needs a sling. He says something like, oh, I need something that can hold my 200-pound frame. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He does. Yeah. yeah. So now we know how much he weighs from this episode. And we also learned in the episode of MacGyver that Tilk weighs 225 pounds. So fascinating. You learned that in an episode <laughs> of MacGyver? We did, yeah, because the huh. the uh, MacGyver episode that, yeah, I know, you don't listen to the podcast. Thanks for rubbing that <laughs> in and making it so obvious I, to everyone, Colin. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just, I'm just listening to it extremely slowly. So. This is true. Yeah, I know you've listened to at least some of it, but yes. you've also never watched Stargate. So that's why we're talking about Simpsons stuff. I've watched a few episodes. You have. You've yeah. watched a few episodes that we made you watch, <laughs> essentially. The guy, Christopher Judge, who plays Teal'c, 
had a very small bit role in an episode of MacGyver. So that's what Jeff and I talked about last week. I see. Yeah. So he says, I need something that can hold my 200 pound frame. He opens the <laughs> closet and finds a bra. And he says, abra, kadabra. Which, of course, made me immediately think of the episode of the IT crowd where they go on Dragon's Den and Moss has invented the abracadabra. <laughs> I forgot about that. I love that. Show. <laughs> so he's explained how he got out and he tells them that it's the most exciting thing he's ever done and asks them to tie him up so he can do it again, <laughs> but make it harder this time. So they do. Uh, and he looks super happy. And then they each hit him on the head with a hammer. Of course. Yeah. I guess that does, in fact, make it harder if he's trying to do this with a broken skull and or concussion yeah. or contusion or all of the above <laughs> then it pops over to india yeah back in india we are at a building that is of course part taj mahal and part nuclear power plant we see the iconic nuclear power plant smokestacks mr burns is there and plays a snake doing a snake charmer <laughs> dance up out of a basket while some traditional sounding music plays he welcomes the new workers and says that the power is going to be transported via undersea cables back to the U.S. So we flash to the bar where Lenny and Carl are complaining that the power that is running the bar doesn't come from the U.S. And Mo points to everything else in the bar, which is also from other countries. And then the one thing he pulls out that is from the U.S. is his shotgun. For whatever reason, he cocks it and fires it, but it backfires in his face. <laughs> I feel like. Mo's shotgun comes up a number of times in that show, too. It does. Yeah, yeah that's definitely a running thing, too. He's, <laughs> he's got that shotgun back there. Back in the power plant, Mr. Burns introduces Homer, saying that his integrity and dedication make him untouchable, and everyone gasps. There's another yikes moment. Homer comes in, makes a few offensive jokes that I just didn't even bother to write down, and Mr. Burns shoves him to the podium so that he can talk to everybody. He has... No idea what to say, so he just says, um, a whole bunch of times. Everyone murmurs. He watches them. He asks if he said, um, he stands there awkwardly. And then he remembers the book from Marge that he has to pull out of the trash can and randomly reads a passage from it. That's an analogy about fried eggs. One of the workers down on the floor asks the woman next to him, what he's talking about and she says that even with her degree in physics from MIT she has no idea what he's talking about but then some other random person says well maybe if we all cheer they'll just let us go back to work so they all cheer <laughs> later on Homer and Kavi are sitting out on a balcony I think we're supposed to figure that this is Kavi's apartment was my impression yeah they're having some drinks looking out over the city Bart calls and has some concerns because he needs to write a report on the Great Lakes, but he has no time to write it because it's due the next day. So Homer says he should just outsource it to Lisa because outsourcing is great. And then Bart mentions that he's also concerned that he's got a new bully that he thinks might have followed him home. Suddenly the bully breaks in and starts threatening him. Homer yells, outsourcing, and hangs up. <laughs> The, the drawing of that bully, I was trying to figure out, is this a recurring Simpsons joke that I just don't remember or or no it seemed like a very specific drawing it seemed like it might be a reference to something but i it didn't reminded come me of anything. another one of like the the high school age characters whose names i can't remember so i don't know if it was meant to look like anybody or not i'm not sure oh there is like one of them does have like a shaved head or something yeah that it? guy yeah reminded me of him but it looked like a smaller younger version of that person so yeah and well doesn't he have like a newsboy cap on or something too 
Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Not sure. This was 16 <laughs> years ago. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> Kavi is glad to see Homer embracing outsourcing and... It turns out that he works for several American companies. He actually has this big panel of phones. And of course, to emphasize his point, they all start ringing. He answers each one with a completely different American accent, introduces himself with a different anglicized name, and introduces a different company with each phone that he works for. And then worst of all, he answers the last phone with a Jamaican accent, pretending that he's Lady Cleo. I don't know if anyone remembers her, a fortune teller with a bad fake Jamaican accent back in the day. Huh, I was not familiar with this. Oh, really? Yeah. She had commercials on all the time. Her tagline was, call me now, and I'm not even going to try to fake the that accent because yeah. I don't want to offend anybody, but yeah. that was her, her thing, and it was a total scammy 800 number to get your fortune told to you. Hmm. I'm surprised you don't remember that because I feel like she was on like all the time on all channels. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I missed this particular slice of Americana. Um. <laughs> I somehow feel like you're no worse for wear. For <laughs> Sounds like it. Back in Springfield at the DMV, Patty and Selma are working. Richard Dean Anderson busts to the front of the line, literally shoving people out of the way. He wants them to lock him up in a trunk and park it under a bridge at low tide. He doesn't need much in the way of supplies, but he does need a couple things to help him break out. He's going to need a nail file, a farmer's almanac. He's going to need a gun, but points out that he wants that gun to have no bullets, but then he's also going to need some bullets. And last <laughs> but not least, he will be needing three MacGyver writers. That's not too much to ask. <laughs> Patty and Selma are like, all right, but maybe during lunch? And Richard Dean Anderson is very impatient, and he wants it now. We go back to the India plant where uh, Mr. Burns is telling Homer that he doesn't know how he's doing it, but he's outputting 10 times as much energy as they did in the U.S. Homer sneaks a peek at his book and says, a book once told me only one pancake leaves room for more bacon. <laughs> and Mr. Burns is like, I see what you're saying. We're crowding your plate. You don't need us here. Let's go. Smithers is like, doesn't that corrupt? And Mr. Burns is like, absolutely not. Um, another one that felt like an actual like funny classic Simpsons joke that yeah. I really enjoyed. And then we veer back into difficult territory where they say, no, he's a god. Yeah. <laughs> and then Homer's like, I'm not a god. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you know what? I might just <laughs> skip over. the. <laughs> All of that is bad. Yeah, fair. Needless to say, the idea is planted in Homer's head that he is a god. We cut over to where Mr. Burns is floating and uh, Smithers is having a conversation with him. Smithers <laughs> says he has concerns about what they're doing, but Mr. Burns says he's having too much fun with his friends floating down the Ganges River to care. And Smithers is like, those are corpses. And Mr. Burns is like, you never like my friends. To be fair, the implication here wasn't just that the Ganges is littered with corpses. These were actually like on floating funereal barges. So I really couldn't tell if this would be offensive or not. I did like the, the you never like my friends joke, but I was like, I don't know. Is this bad? I'm not even sure anymore. Yeah, it feels a little icky to me. I it don't did. know enough about it to know right. how yes. offended to be. But it definitely feels like something where I would just like be like, mm, no, it's not going to touch that. Let's, yeah. let's, let's leave that alone. <laughs> right. Back at the power plant, we see a view that no longer looks as pretty and serene <laughs> as the surrounding area looked before. Before it was blue sky and pretty little river outside and some jungle behind the power plant. 
And now we see that the dome is off of the Taj Mahal-esque part of the building. The river is gray instead of blue. The sky is orange. Everything is kind of smoky and gross and there's slime on everything. Inside, Lenny and Carl have apparently shown up because Homer sent them a card asking them to come celebrate his promotion to God. (laughs) Great. A guard points to two doors and tells them that Homer is behind one of them, but he can't tell them which and they need to choose wisely. So they choose one door. There's a tiger behind it. They go to the other door. There's a tiger behind that one. They look at the guard like, what the hell? And the guard tells them, well, one of them is named Homer Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) A reference, I assume, to the lady and the tiger story, which I feel like everybody had to learn at some point between middle school and high school. Exactly. Speaking of which, the lady and the tiger song by TMBG is a really, I find, fascinating take on the story, and I love that song. Huh. I will have to go listen because I'm not sure I know that one. Oh, yeah. Long story short, in their version of the song, you would have chosen poorly if you chose the door with the lady behind it because she had laser beam eyes and wanted to set everything <laughs> on fire and the tiger was like trying to talk sense into her like no <laughs> felines and dames in flames will hardly serve your aims <laughs> I love it yeah it's, that's amazing it's a great song I love it back at Patty and Selma's house they get home from work Richard Dean Anderson is there waiting for them, now cosplaying as MacGyver. He's got a blonde mullet wig on and some kind of like work type coveralls, and he's made some MacGyver burgers, but they didn't have ground meat. So he just used Slim Jims that he cut up with a cheese grater, and he's holding them together with rubber bands. Patty and Selma are at their wits end at this point, so they really need to get rid of him. And instead of watching episodes of MacGyver, as Richard Dean Anderson wants to do, they're instead going to look at some pictures that they've taken of their travels. These pictures are incredibly boring and seem to just involve bathrooms and horse-drawn carriages. I don't remember if the horse-drawn carriages thing was an ongoing gag or not. I don't remember them ever referencing them and anything else but i don't know but i do know that according to wikipedia Mm -hmm. that the the museum they're referencing is an actual museum in canada they don't say the actual name and i don't Mm -hmm. remember now but the museum was reportedly happy to have an appearance on the simpsons despite (laughs) the appearance being the implication that it's an extremely boring place to go (laughs) nice that being said i would i would look at horse-drawn carriages i'd be right I'd, i'd be into it Yeah, when I was doing a bunch of traveling last summer and looking at a bunch of archaeological sites on that trip, that road trip that I went on, there was one that was both part Native American or First Peoples village and part early settlers village. And they actually had a bunch of old farm equipment and horse-drawn carriages and all kinds of stuff there. And it actually was really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Sometimes it's cool just to be in the presence of stuff that's like old, that's like historic like that, right? And it just makes you feel something different about like what what history was or whatever yeah right yeah exactly you're not just like seeing it on tv or hearing about it in the in a book but like actually being there with these things that are that old has a weird feel to it but a cool feeling to it I yeah think. anyway definitely personally. yeah as time passes richard dean anderson starts off pretty happy but then starts to look more and more bored, sinks deeper and deeper into the couch, starts looking angsty, then starts looking angry. We hear him thinking that he needs to get himself out of there, but it's going to require his most ingenious escape ever. So he stands up and shouts that he found an Olive Garden coupon that expires at midnight. (laughs) And he's holding his hand up like he's holding it 
but Patty and Selma point out that there's nothing in his hand. He pauses for a second and then jumps through the plate glass window. Yeah. Yelling MacGyver away as he goes. <laughs> Patty and Selma are relieved that he's gone. But as bad as the experience was, they're still happy that they have the memento of a window shade that he wrote, help, I've been kidnapped by two evil witches on. They've apparently torn the shade off the window and framed it, and now it's hanging on the wall. And they're trying to figure out what those letters were written in, and they determined that it must be grape juice and tears. (laughs) I actually thought it was blood, but grape juice and tears is also an interesting take. I'm trying to imagine how that would work. Right? I mean, do you cry into the grape juice and then... (laughs) I guess. Maybe you pour a grape juice in your eyes, which makes them water, Uh, and then you gather the runoff? I don't know. That would definitely make me cry if someone poured grape juice in my eyes. Um, Right. That sounds unpleasant. But also not clear to me, I mean, you have the science background here. It's not clear to me the role that the tears would... Like, what are they contributing, really, to that? I feel like all you need is the grape juice. I agree, yeah. Bring the grape juice, leave the tears. Right. The Come tears on. are just water it what down, having the extra salt in there. Tears are, are primarily water and uh, some salt and mucus, but really wouldn't add anything to the grape juice that I can think of anyway. If anything, if you wanted a message to that would have some kind of longevity, you would not want those in there because it could corrode the paper over time. Corrode is probably not the right word, but uh, <laughs> whatever the word yeah. is that you use for paper well, deteriorating break down, over time. decompose, yeah. deteriorate, yeah. Pretty sure as an art major in college, I learned all about that and clearly don't remember <laughs> anything now, so... You learned all about using the medium of tears and grape juice on <laughs> yes. window shades? <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, okay. That's I mean, weird. it's like it's like art 134 or something. <laughs> oh, wow. That's surprising. I didn't realize elective. that was a thing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, we talked about making sure that paper lasts a long time. I mean, you oh, always see yeah. like you always see things like uh, like acid-free. Right. And, and and that's all to make sure that the paper doesn't deteriorate or it doesn't yellow, doesn't, you know, crumble, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just makes it last longer. But mm. Maybe the tears help to buffer the grape juice. Now, I want to know the pH of tears, which I don't actually know off the top of my head, as well as the what? pH of grape juice. <laughs> I know. You'd think I might. Yeah. So, Wait, okay. So, pause Pause the podcast. We're going to go conduct an experiment with different types of paper and like seven yes. different solutions of different, different, different proportions of tears and grape juice, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> A pH of tears. 6.5 to 7.6. So really just about neutral, a little bit on either side. Okay. According so to JAMA Network. Not too pH bad. pH of grape juice. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess acidic, a little bit acidic. I'm going to guess slightly acidic, but not as acidic as like, oh, it's between three and four. That's way more acidic than I would have thought. Oh. So it's not really going to make it neutral since tears are neutral, but it would make grape juice less acidic. So maybe there's a slight benefit to mixing grape juice and tears. Huh. Yeah. Deterioration? He, it was a MacGyver Christmas. moment. He was like, yeah. all I have is grape juice, but I need to bring the pH down so that the archival <laughs> quality of this window shade doesn't deteriorate over time. <laughs> yes. Uh. Exactly. All right. Problem <laughs> solved. Yeah. We go back to the uh, river in India. A river in India, I suppose. Mr. Burns and Smithers are sailing it, and with the rest of the Simpson family, Bart says... So my dad thinks he's a god and has cut off contact with the outside world. Smithers reminds Mr. Burns that he said Homer was a bad choice. Did I not say that your plan would be unsuccessful? Careful. Be careful. Mr. Burns <laughs> says, I told you so has a brother named Shut the Hell Up. <laughs> See, I liked that joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
just some good old-fashioned being mean to each other. Right. <laughs> they start to hear the sound of chanting. The boat approaches the power plant, and Lisa says she's getting scared. There are people lining the banks wearing Homer's trademark white shirt and blue I guess those are supposed to be jeans. His Somehow jeans. I didn't even notice that they were all dressed like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I managed to miss that. And there's a big dome with Homer's face on it where the original dome of the power plant used to be. What do you think that was made out of? The dome? Yeah. Oh, to make Homer's head? Yeah. Grape juice and tears. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Inside the power plant, there is ominous music. The group is wandering down the hall, trying to find Homer. They find a room where people are chanting and bowing down to Homer, who's standing up on a dais of some sort. He's wearing various robes. Lenny and Carl are standing on either side of them. And Homer tells his worshippers to move aside, because now it's time for the fight between the monkey and the elephant. Which is made me sad because the monkey's got a sword, but then the elephant is huge. But the monkey apparently can talk in, in monkey speak. Essentially tells the elephant that he doesn't want to fight, puts his sword down. Before this fight can get started, Marge runs up and reminds Homer that he is not, in fact, a god, but a sweet guy who's only there to give his family a better life. Homer is not pleased to hear this and says that he knows everything. So Bart asks to prove that by saying what Marge's birthday is. But of course, Homer doesn't know that. So Bart's like, see, he's not a god. One of the people in the crowd is like, yeah, well, obviously he's not a god. But we follow him anyway because he tells us secrets. And Lisa wants to know what kinds of secrets. They start to expand upon that a little bit. He tells them things like overtime and coffee breaks and flex time and casual Fridays and on-site daycare and birthday celebrations with Mylar balloons. They all resume chanting. They were saying something not in English before, but then they resume their chanting with Mylar balloons. Mr. Burns is incensed to hear that Homer told them all of these things, which he, of course, is opposed to. And... Someone in the crowd says, yeah, he even gave us a contract with all these things in it. Homer has taught them the word union. And so what they were chanting before actually translates to union. Mr. Bird says that he was with Homer pretty much up to this point because he was happy with how things seemed to be run and how everything was so productive. But he can't get behind Homer treating his employees like human beings because that's just madness. Some guy comes up and tells Mr. Burns that he needs a personal day and he can have one of his personal days because he's got plenty and they're transferable, so he'll give one to Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns storms off in a huff at that. Lisa goes up to Homer and says that she's very proud of him for being the first man to outsource the American workers' sense of entitlement and privilege. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because having paid time off is entitlement and privilege. <laughs> right. Wanting some basic rights, yeah. entitlement and privilege. Yeah, it struck me as very much not a Lisa line because she's usually the one who's the most likely to be like the moral conscience of the family. And I get that it's just a joke they're throwing in. But right. anyway. But yeah, given how her character is written, you would think that she would be all in on things like overtime pay and breaks and on-site daycare and that kind of thing. Yeah. As things start to wrap up, Homer says he's glad that he's not a god and he just wants to go home. He randomly asks how Chief Wiggum is for... Whatever reason, and Wiggum has been gravely wounded in a bank shootout, so 
great. (laughs) And Homer says, yeah, he's funny. (laughs) Mr. Burns says that as a result of this debacle here in India, he's going to have to relocate the power plant yet again to an area where the workers are more desperate and ignorant. So back to Springfield, they're going to go. He yells at everyone and tells them they're fired. So they all cheer because they get severance and early retirement and golden parachutes. (laughs) They all lift Mr. Burns and cheer. And then there's a Bollywood-style song and dance to end the episode. And Smithers joins in the festivities by doing a handspring right into the center. And then credits. Yes. Yes, that's it. Yeah, they do the song and dance, right? And then the the Simpsons get into the dance and are sort of centered in it. Maybe that's not necessarily problematic, but given everything that came before it, you just sort of feel like, okay, one more. Right. I don't know. I I remember the Wikipedia about this episode said what the song was, and I think oh, really? it was taken as like an actual song. It sounded like an authentic recording. Yeah, I I really like that that music too. There's a Indian composer named A. R. Raman who I think he did a lot of music sort of in that style for various Bollywood films. Oh. What I know him best from is there was a musical called Bombay Dreams that had i think it had mostly original music from him plus uh plus a song called chaya chaya that's mm-hmm. originally from <laughs> again me going down the well of like one <laughs> random thing that i know for some reason uh the song is originally from a, a movie that i believe is called dil say and there's this like famous scene where they're all standing on top of a moving train dancing and doing this song and i remember watching it at one point it's, it's pretty cool and I like the song. I find the music really appealing. And I really like that Bombay Dream soundtrack. I, I do like a lot of like, yeah, like Bollywood style music. I actually have a bunch of them on one of my running playlists. So I'll have to try to look up that composer, though, that you mentioned. I haven't heard of him before. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely hold with the idea that everything should be a musical. So I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, Colin, did you like the episode? That is a hard question to answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few jokes that felt like classic Simpsons that I enjoyed that made me yeah. laugh. I'm not necessarily qualified to even de- delve into a whole conversation about how we judge things in the past versus mm-hmm. today and all that. Right. But I know there are arguments on different sides of this. It's it's hard at this point to look at some of this stuff, though, and not think about uh, everything that's happened Especially since this episode deals specifically with India, people from India, many of them being voiced by white actors, which was exactly the central theme of the the documentary, The Problem with Apu, which which again was really good and and I recommend watching. You know, it it was hard to like because of basically the whole plot in India. Mm -hmm. The other storyline, I enjoyed that. It felt like The Simpsons, it felt like to a certain extent. Futurama without necessarily the, the, the extremely problematic elements of the other <laughs> of the other parts. So I guess I guess I'm coming down on the side of no as I talk my way through this. Overall, I'm not sure that it was as entertaining as I used to find The Simpsons anyway. Mm-hmm. Like apart from all of those issues, but you know, it's also been a long time. I am you know 41 years old now and not, not in my early 20s tragically <laughs> so uh although i don't know i mean futurama I, you've i mean you've watched futurama a ton i think right uh, yeah, yeah i love futurama yeah. i've watched it like 
a million times all the way through. Same here. <laughs> I'm actually even a bigger fan of Futurama than I am of The Simpsons. Absolutely. Me too. I, yeah. Futurama is great. Which is weird because initially I actually didn't really like Futurama when it first came out. I was like, eh, it's fine, but I like The Simpsons better. But that's definitely switched over the years. Me too. I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, and I still like Futurama a lot. And there are elements of that show. I mean, you can watch episodes of that show and, and be like, hey, yikes. But Right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think not as much, not as often. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was a different writing staff, right? And a different cast and everything. I don't have any in idea. Does Matt Greening and, do, do, you know, do those guys get really involved in every, I don't, I don't know how that works. The point I'm just, <laughs> I'm struggling to reach here is, uh, <laughs> is, is that uh, Futurama still entertains me. I still like it a lot. When it right. got yanked off of Netflix at one point, I immediately bought the whole DVD set on, mm -hmm. off of Amazon because I was like, well, I have to. I can't not have Futurama. That's not right? that's not acceptable. So it's not an option. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it's just time and me aging that mm -hmm. contributes to me not finding the the episode overall as entertaining as I used to find The Simpsons. And a lot of people say one through ten are the golden era of The Simpsons. Right. Yeah. And this is well past that point. Maybe people who are younger who didn't grow up with the episodes of Simpsons that I grew up with mm -hmm. do like. I don't know. It's still on, so it must be doing well yeah, enough. Someone's to... got to be watching it. I haven't watched it in a long time. No, clearly people are. Yeah. What about you? Did you like the episode? Yeah, I, I can't say no, but I really can't say yes either. There was a lot of stuff that I did find very funny, and then obviously a lot of stuff that I just kind of cringed at. Hmm. And it did make me think. I don't remember seeing this episode before. I probably did. I don't really remember. It did make me wonder, like, what would I have thought of this when it came out? And I probably would not have been as critical of it back then hmm. as i am now because you know a lot of things have happened since then that have thankfully i think made me a better and more aware person than i than i probably was before there was a lot of racial stereotyping that made this episode pretty hard to watch these days and i know that that's always been a thing for them but like with this episode it was particularly prominent mm. like you also said like the whitewashing of all of the characters that were voiced by by non-indian actors is you know also an issue too and then just a lot of the jokes were were just tasteless and so yeah, really part of me wondered like how much of that is just me looking at it in hindsight with 2022 knowledge at this show that was written in 2006 versus how much of this is just because, yeah, this was a during kind of a low period for The Simpsons. And I really don't have an answer for that. So long story short, I have I have mixed feelings about it. I did enjoy Richard Dean Anderson's role in it. I thought that he was entertaining, but overall the episode was not a great episode. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the same is, would exactly be true with me. I'm definitely looking at it through the lens of everything that's happened, the change in awareness. And it makes me think a lot about, well, for example, like like Looney Tunes, right? Mm -hmm. We used to watch those when we were kids. Right. Another thing my parents didn't want me to watch, but I did on occasion anyway. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my mom didn't like all the guns that they use, oh. which in hindsight, maybe my mom had a point there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. She thought they were too violent. Yeah. Those were fine in my house for whatever reason. <laughs> but in addition to being horribly violent, they were pretty racist. Oh, yeah. Very. Right. <laughs> and and we just watched them as kids and, and didn't think about it that much. I've been trying to like go through this, uh, I don't know, de-conditioning mm -hmm. from all the people around us, from our education, from the media we consume right. to just sort of accept this stuff. There's a really interesting scene in The Trouble with Apu. Mm -hmm. He actually goes and talks to Whoopi Goldberg. 
and I didn't know this, Whoopi Goldberg has a uh, whole collection of basically like artwork, figurines and stuff. It's all, I forget the word, but mm-hmm. it's basically like old time stuff that's racist depictions of black people. And, yeah, okay. And they're looking at that and you know, Hari has brought an Apu action figure that you can press a button on and it does the accent and everything. And you know, he asked her, is this you know is this minstrelry mm-hmm. because she was she's was, she been talking about that in the context of blackface and the entertainment industry and, and things like that and she got, sort of goes through what the hallmarks are and they, they come to the conclusion that yeah it is it is minstrelry i'll just leave it there and say it's a good documentary it's really interesting it's also entertaining i mean he's a comedian he's funny there's some seriously funny moments in it i, I definitely plan to watch it and also probably worth mentioning as recently i think as like last year uh, hank azaria who voiced apu actually came out and apologized for his racist portrayal of apu which i thought was actually a, a pretty great thing for him to do i don't know how long ago the, the character was even written off of the show or if it officially was written off of the show but he's apologized for, for the role that he had in uh, in the racist depiction of the character. Interesting. Uh, I think that must have happened after the documentary. I didn't realize that he had actually come out and apologized. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's good. It's like yeah. a step that has to happen, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he played that character for a long time. So it's just, you know, goes to show it's not a bad thing to become more aware of the impact that you may have or on, you know, different racial relation and society. Huh. Yeah, he did a ton of voices on that show, he's, right? Yeah, he's done a ton of voices on that show. So I'm not sure if he's still involved in doing other characters, but he does not do that one anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I just actually did a quick search, and apparently that apology did come after and as a result of the documentary. Okay. I'm looking at cheat sheet here, <laughs> and it says, After Azaria saw the documentary The Problem with Apu and spoke with more people, he decided to stop doing the voice. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, that's it for us today. I do not know what's happening next week. I think Kathy will probably be back, but I am not 100% sure. There will definitely be a podcast of some sort next week, but we'll be here. I will be here. Someone else will be here with me. (laughs) I don't know who it will be or what we'll be talking about, but I really appreciate Kathy and I both really appreciate your patience while she needed this bit of time off. So as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so that you can catch our podcast as soon as it comes out every Wednesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. You can visit our website, stargatesing.space and contact us through there. You can also, if you're feeling generous, find us on patreon.com slash stargatesing. All of your generous support is what helps keep the show going. And of course, likes and reviews and word of mouth are super helpful to help new people find the show. I'm Mary. And I'm Colin. And you've been listening to Stargatesing, the end. We Say the end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, did you want to add anything about anything that you're doing? I should ask if anything you want to plug. Uh, no. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Zero plugs. Fair. <laughs> don't pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me to my uh, <laughs> ignanimity. Fair. Very fair. <laughs>